Hey everyone, after more than 15 years in the business, I finally got a book published. If you want to do me the biggest favor in the whole world, please head over to MikeyOp.com and buy a copy. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com, and the book is named Ardor, and it's about psychics and the history and future of the universe. I wrote it, and I think you'll love it. Hi, this is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores our views on death, affect the way we live our life. And, uh, you know, sometimes I talk about our guests before they come on, and uh, this week I'm going to start with a really brief explanation of what it's like to live in Phoenix. Um, Phoenix, Arizona is the sixth biggest city in the United States at this point, which is really weird. But if you lived here, what you'd probably notice the most is that no one or almost no one is from here, including yours truly. And so it's kind of like a weird, like, melting pot or the opposite of a melting pot. But either way, we just have, like, people from California, people from Texas, people from Chicago, people from all over, including people from all over the world. So um, our guest today is Ruth Insubaga, and she is definitely, like, an American through and through, and you'll not hear any accent in her voice. But when I had the pleasure of meeting her in a random Phoenix coffee shop, and she told me she was from Uganda, it blew my mind just because I never meet people from, like, foreign countries in America anymore. I was used to it in San Francisco. So I was so excited to get to know her, and uh, I can't wait to ask her a bunch of questions, uh, not really about being an international uh, person of the world, but I did want to explain how weird it is to meet someone in Phoenix this way, because... Ruth basically just like started saying hi to me in a coffee shop because she's not shy and she's really nice and loving. And I'm really, really shy in public. And I am so glad that our guest Ruth decided to say hi to me and that she's on our show today. So after that uh, really weird, long, awkward intro, <laughs> I'd like to present Ruth to you. Ruth, how's it going? It's coming great. That was an amazing intro. I love that. Love that, man. Awesome. And we always ask one question up front just so people can kind of get uh, an, uh, an idea of who they're talking to, which is uh, how old are you? Where did you grow up? And what generation, if any, do you think you belong to? Okay, so I am 37 years old. Um, I grew up mainly in Phoenix, but like you said, originally from Uganda, Africa, and then I came here when I was about eight years old. Um, and generation, here's the thing. I'm a bit of an old soul. Um, so I confused a lot of people because when I was like in my teenage years, I'm listening to like Dean and Frank and I'm calling them my boys, right? Which was not the norm. Um, now it's cool for everybody to have records, but when you're a 12 year old, 13 year old having records, they're like, something's wrong with this child. Um, but yeah, like I would say I'm more like an old, old school generation or an old soul, but I don't really attach to like one generation at all. Totally. And you're definitely that in my eyes. And then how accurate was my intro as far as like, did you actually just like start saying hi to me in a coffee shop or is your version different? No, hundred <laughs> percent. So that we would see each other, right? You know, like. We would sit next to each other and like, I would see you working and I obviously would be working on my stuff. And I'm like, man, I've seen this gentleman multiple times and we haven't struck up a conversation yet. So I was like, let's say hi and figure out life and see if we can connect in some way. And, and I, again, I just want to say thank you because I'm like so shy and awkward in public and I would never do that with anyone, not anyone. It's hard to explain, but I'm just so scared of like <laughs> the person just staring at me being like, excuse me. I deserve privacy. I didn't ask for you to like invade, which is weird because like you say that to me made that experience a million times better. I mean, like that coffee shop was suddenly a place where I could run into a friend and it was like awesome. Man, that's all life should be. I mean, that, that's this really how life should be. We should be engaging with each other because every single person walking on this earth has an interesting story. 
And if you choose not to share it, then you're missing out on getting to know some amazing people. I, I totally agree with you. And so I think actually that's an awesome segue. What is your story as briefly as you can make it? Ooh, where are we starting? I mean, birth, you know, like teenage years, like where I'm at now. Yeah. How about like the first, just like the getting to Phoenix part? So like zero to eight. Absolutely. Um, so zero to eight, like I, I have to always say I was really blessed to be raised by Parents who had this international mindset, um, who saw the beauty in education, who welcomed everybody. I mean, our house, I used to call it like the UN, um, because we had people from around the world who would just come and stay, right? Like missionaries, business people, like, and, and that exposed, I think, us as kids to different people from different backgrounds and also taught us that your home should always be like a welcoming place, right? So that people can come and engage have conversation, learn from, and grow from. Um, so grew up there. It was amazing. Again, like I said, um, having parents who just instilled in all of us as siblings this idea of like community and how important it is. Um, they also developed a strong identity for ourselves, right? So at an early age, I was taught like, hey, like you are your own individual person. And um, your identity, your beliefs, your ideas are all a gift from God, right? And so as you walk through earth, when you see other people, also know that about, the, about them. Um, so that was really, really cool. And then stayed in England for a brief second and then came to the United States, um, which was also a new adventure, right? Going to a school um, in, in South Scottsdale where I came from a school where it was a majority Africans, right? You know, Ugandans. And then coming to the school where it's like, hey, you might be the only black person for miles. Like, wh how, how do you engage in this? <laughs> um, and so that was also an amazing experience. But again, I think the foundation that was laid taught me that every single person, no matter skin color or beliefs, was someone that was beautifully and wonderfully made. So how do I engage with this person? How do I get to know this person? And so fast forward through life, I played sports. Sports was a big part of all of us are, are upbringing um, as kids. Um, our parents always taught us your job is your school and then whatever sport or activity you decided to like, be a part of. And so focused on that, but learned so much in regards to like determination and discipline. Work ethic came, a lot of work ethic was developed from sports in school and played soccer, played basketball, did dance. Like I said, a little bit different as a kid. I joined this group called Broadway Babies. I was probably the only person under the age of 60 and what we would do is we would get together and sing Broadway tunes, right? And then, like, we'd put a big <laughs> performance at the end of the year where, like, families would come, and then it would be, like, my family with me, and then, like, them and their grandkids and great-grandkids, you know, like, watching grandma and grandpa put on our show. So that was a lot of fun. And go through high school, come to college. You know what I mean? I went to Grand Canyon University down the street, and those were amazing years. Got to learn a lot there. Um I was really blessed in regards to like the leadership there because I got to do a really cool internship that allowed me to understand business and people and community. I did a lot of community relations piece there. Um, but yeah, that's that's a quick synopsis of all my craziness. That was really good. And that was quick. The only other question I want to ask about the international stuff is what's like the one thing that you have that someone like me who's just born in America and lived here my whole life doesn't have? Like maybe I could get it at some point in my life, but what's like a natural thing you have from having that dual perspective? I think the beauty that, that Uganda gave like me and my siblings or, or just our perspective is 
a clear understanding of what joy is. Joy is not dependent on what your house looks like, what kind of car you drive. You know what I mean? Like this, this value-based thing that we see around the world, like your joy is based upon like you understanding who you are and then like being able to see the beauty in the mess. Right. You know, so even just different situations, like in life, people would be like, the sky is falling. And I go, yeah, but we're alive, you know, like, all right, let's figure out how to navigate this. But that's that also comes from an international mindset and being raised with uh, my parents were heavily involved with working with orphanages. And so if it overflowed, then some of the kids would come stay with us. But what you got to see is kids who have absolutely nothing but are smiling ear to ear. Right. You know, and it's like, what do I have to complain about? I have two parents who love me, who are caring for me and I have a home and I have a bed and this child has nothing. So I, I think that would be the biggest thing is like my joy is not based again on what I have, but I think it's, it's an internal thing. And then how I view the world and how I view situations. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes so much sense to me. Like like one of my favorite, con- we had a lot of really fun conversations because I used to go to that coffee shop all the time. And now to save time, I'm going to one like closer to my house. But, but one of my favorite conversations with you was like you talking about your experience during COVID in America versus like a lot of our peers. And I, I felt like we really shared the same perspective, which is like cooperation is just like not an option here. What's going on? What would be your recommendation to people who still feel like this uh, quote unquote culture war in America? Because you have such a good take on that. I mean, man, I think it's a question of do you actually understand who's across from you, right? Like when I look at most of the arguments in communication across the board, it's not even communication. It's uh, I need you to understand me before I understand you. Right. It's that mindset. And I go, no, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you actually take time to listen to another person and hear where they're coming from, you're then able to engage in a conversation. So even with like the stuff that was happening and, and, and people's beliefs and ideas, I'm willing to sit and listen to someone who disagrees with me. Right. But what I'm going to do now is then engage and share what I believe. And I hope that you would listen to me. But then we're able to go back and forth. I'm just watching our society become so triggered, right? You know, like, you don't believe in what I believe, so you hate me. And I go, no, I, I just don't understand why you, why you, what you believe. So educate me. Let's have a conversation. Let's figure out where our common ground is. There could be something I could learn from you, right? You could be able to change me and help me get a greater understanding of your perspective if you're willing to have a conversation. But I think we've lost that art. Um, and now we've just become very, very aggressive to each other, which I go, that's not going to serve anybody and it's not going to help us move forward. Yeah. And actually that's like essentially what your career is now. Um, you were obviously like working as a corporate executive, but now you're on the other side and you're really trying to help people, uh, achieve anything they want to. And, and you're just like, so good. Even just in our heart to hearts and our talks, you've helped me and you've given me strength and courage. So what does it feel like to be, in your mid to late thirties and like shifting at such like a different rate, like you're going from, I'm on the side where I'm running the company to now I'm trying to help people learn how to run companies and, and do things they want to do. Oh, it's absolutely nerve wracking. Like I, I always want to be <laughs> honest with people. Cause it's like, people were like, you're insane. Like you're quitting your job. You know, it's comfortable. You know what you're doing your day to day to then now go and like be in an uncertain market, helping people hopefully get better. Right. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't sound like it makes any sense. And so there's days where I wake up and I'm like, I'm going to kill it today. I'm going to be awesome. And there's great conversations and there's development. 
And then there's other moments where I am absolutely drowning and the client's drowning and we can't figure out how to move forward. Um, and in those days I go, you know, what? just take one step forward, you know? And so I, I, I always tell people, I, I always recommend having a statement about your life, right? Like that guides you through things, right? So I have two statements that guide me in sort of how I operate. The first one is be a party and a half everywhere you go. And that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's something so simple, Yeah. but it's allowed me to like, Hey, let's find the joy in this. Let's find the happiness in this. Let's find, even if it's like a really sad situation, let's find the hope, right. Or, or something that we can hold on to. So that way we don't stay down there. And then the second statement I have is a little aggressive, but it's ball to the wall. And what that means essentially is like whenever I get scared or ever get stuck or a decision or um, paralysis by analysis, I always tell myself, just take that step. Whatever step that is that, that comes to my head, just take that step. And then another step will eventually show up. And then you take that step, and then another step. And so those two guiding principles of essentially like, helping me navigate this, even though I am scared and nervous, I know that one, I'm going to have fun doing whatever I'm going to do. I'm either going to fail like in a beautiful way or I'm going to be successful with joy, but either way, I'm going to push forward. It's a little unnerving sometimes, right? Where you're like, Hey, like it'd be nice to have a steady paycheck, right? And, and that comfort and that security. But then I also go, man, like I just got five clients to pay. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 I've helped people. I've developed yeah, people. Yeah. I'm in something that I'm passionate about. And when I wake up every morning, I'm excited to learn something new or help someone get from point A to point B, give a different perspective. So there's always something that is either teaching me or I'm teaching someone else, but there's forward movement, which I appreciate now. That's so cool. And hearing you say you get nervous would be like hearing Michael Jordan say he gets nervous. It's just like blows <laughs> my mind. I know all humans suffer from humanity, but it's like you're you're not like cocky or overconfident. You're just like a really nice level of confidence. And that's what I was like, you know, in the very beginning of the intro, when I'm saying like, you had the confidence it takes to be like, Hey, obviously we're going to get along. <laughs> like we, you know, we're in this coffee shop. So let's just like strike up a conversation. And I just thought, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, to me, that's brave, even though that is like the answer to like most human problems is like, look over to the person to your right and just say hi. You know, when they make you do that at like, things like if you're at like a big church event oh yeah 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 and you're like ah <laughs> yeah it's like tell us your name you know what i mean like go through that whole thing but i here's the thing though what's the worst that can happen right you look at me and you say i don't want to talk to you i go all right cool and the next time i see you i'm not going to engage right but look what has developed from us just even being able to say hi because you could have been like you could have been like hey i'm busy i got deadlines you know and like but you took the time to engage and have the conversation right? And then friendship has developed. But it's like, the worst can happen is I get denied. All right, cool. Let's keep it moving. There's 20 other people in this coffee shop. Let's get to know them. Let's make some friends. Let's, let's hang out. That's so cool. Um, So I guess this is a weird question. I've never thought to ask anyone this, but which came first for you? Faith in having faith or like the, I have to have faith to have faith? Ooh, um, I'm, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to say what came first is seeing people with faith, <sighs> right? So again, it goes back to like my parents and like my grandparents, like seeing people with faith who like faced situations and reacted differently than what like everybody else was doing, right? You know, like it's, it's that idea of seeing someone walk completely different than the culture or even like internally, you're like, hey, I'm scared, right? I'm scared about this situation. But then you see your parent just like, all right, let's take this to the Lord and have this like calming peace about them where it's like, 
the house is on fire. Yes, that's totally fine. But we're going to make it through. And then you you look at that and you go, that's so different. That's so different than internally that, than what's happening to me. And then that to me was like a challenge of like, hey, like I need to figure out what this thing is. And then when I found it and got it, I was like, whoa, like my whole life shifted in regards to how I like interact with people or how I see things. Like it's it's completely different, a night and day situation in my life, essentially giving my life to the Lord. Wow, that's so cool. And I think that's a great segue into like the only question we ask every guest, which is what do you think happens when you die? Hey, everybody. I just want to thank you so much for listening to the show. Our numbers keep growing and we have a premium package and it would really help us out if some of you loyal fans would head over there and sign up. You get bonus monthly podcasts, you get a book I wrote, and you also get extra essays and other content. So please head over to MikeYop.com. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com and sign up today. Man, great question. (laughs) Um, So for me, I believe, right, like, and I'll just put it in, in my perspective so that way people don't lose their mind. I believe that when I die, I will go meet my maker and he will either have two statements for me, right? Which is the scary statements, which is first one, which is what I hope for, which is well done, my good and faithful servant. And then I'm allowed into heaven. I'm with community. I'm finally at peace. There's no pain. There's no sorrow. There's only joy and worship, right? Or the second one, which is absolutely terrifying, which is, I never knew you depart from me, right? Which is the one I'm like, no, don't want that. Absolutely not. Um, And so that's what I think that happens when we die is that we're essentially taken back to our maker. And then it's an examination of our heart. Um, I think like that's a very powerful statement to say, because a lot of people look at people's actions. But I go, if you actually were able to see their hearts, you would be able to see if they're good or bad action. Because someone can be nice to you to manipulate you. Someone can be nice to you to get something from you, right? And so I always point back to the fact that God's able to see our hearts. So he's able to say like, yeah, you look like this really nice person in the world. You donated all your money, but on the back end, you were spiteful. You were mean. You were, you know what I mean? Like all these different things. So it's not even like, measuring in the way that we think it's going to be measured right it's it's this it's going to examine our hearts and say like yeah you were for me and you cared for my people and you were intentional about loving me and following my laws or get away from you never knew me you never knew my laws. you never took care of my people you never fulfilled my commandments like that in itself is terrifying and so but it's also encouraging right because for me i go i know who i belong to i know what the expectations are essentially of my life so I just need to walk boldly through them. Wow. I love that answer. And I love the way you explain it. I knew you'd be a great guest because you're just really good at concise yet deep statements. And, and it's been fun, <laughs> like asking you and hearing you on a recording instead of just in a coffee shop. And so actually, I want to go even deeper to like okay. what in American culture, at least, um, or I, I guess I should say Western academic culture, to be more exact, mm. uh, we call intersectionality. I see the two biggest issues when it comes to like human violence would be over race and over religion. You spoke of the unique experience of being a black person in Phoenix. And then also you have the unique experience of being religious in a world that is like often anti-religious or too religious in one way or another. You're very peaceful. You don't seem to give a crap about either one as far as like your identity politics or anything goes. So I'm curious, like, what is it like to see so much conflict over these two things that are so good for you? Yeah. 
For me, I, I would say the biggest thing is that it actually breaks my heart, right? Because at the end of the day, I think that so many of us have forgotten what the actual issue is. And it's very much self-focus or selfishness that's coming forward with these issues, right? It's not even the idea of like, let's actually address what the issue is. There's money exchange. There is people not caring for others. There's people making assumptions in the conversation. And so it's, it's, for me, it, it breaks my heart because I go, we're never going to be able to fix this until we start telling each other the truth, but truth and love, right? That's a piece that a lot of people miss, right? So if I came up to a person and I was like, you're a jerk and you're this and you're this and you're failing at life, right? Like, uh, it could be true. It could honestly be true. But at the end of the day, like, if I said it with love, where I said, hey, I'm concerned about you, like, these actions aren't who you are. How do we get you back to your foundation? That's a different kind of conversation, but it also requires me to come differently to the conversation. It asks me to see the bigger picture, which is not the norm for most conversations today, right? Because then it, it puts a responsibility on me then to examine you as a human being or examine the issue and say, what is the bigger picture? Not what is the slice that I identify with? What is the bigger picture? What is truth why? And how do I go after that truth and more? What's something that you've overcome that you feel comfortable talking about, but wouldn't have felt comfortable talking about at the time it happened? Wow. Hmm. That is a great question. I would say probably in the last two to three years, I've been battling this idea of knowing who I am fully and accepting it. So the first thing that I would say that I've finally overcome as well is or, or a battle that I've faced is internally is being able to like see truth as it is, right? And so I'm a, I'm a positive person, right? So if like something happens, I'm going to be like, well, let's figure out how to get over it. But there's also instances where I have to sit in the midst of it and examine it through a truth lens, which is always very uncomfortable because you want people to feel better. You want hope to be there. You want hopefully for us to move forward as quickly as possible through the situation. But what I think that I've learned to do, which is to be able to sit in the moment and to be present, which then allows you to be able to see the entire picture. So just individually for me, I've been working really hard on my health, right? Like I've had moments where I'm super healthy, I'm fit, I can run five miles. And then other moments where I'm like running to the fridge and I might meet Jesus. Like I've, I've, been, I've done the whole dance, right? And recently when I started addressing like, hey, like I want to be a healthy individual. I want to be just like, for me, I was like, why am I unhealthy? What are the lies that I've believed, right, that I've allowed into my life that then allow me then to eat in an unhealthy way or not be disciplined in my action? Like, I essentially started to have to unpack my thoughts and my thought process and then the lies that I've told myself were truth and go through that uncomfortable journey of being present with myself and then speaking truth to myself. And the way that journey has gone is essentially me finally being like, hey, you're unhealthy right now. We need, to, we need to get a disciplined lifestyle. So here's the structure I put in place. Like I'm on a specific eating schedule. I have workouts. I have accountability partners. But then there's also the mental and emotional part where I'm reading books like I love Atomic Habits or things like that where it's like it gives you a new skill and a, and a new perspective to be able to see something and then go after it. But like equipping myself then with tools to be able to speak truth to myself of saying like, hey, you fail today, but you don't fail twice. That's a statement that I live by now. So 
if there's a day where I'm like, man, that cake looks delicious, I'm going to have it. But then tomorrow, I don't fail twice. This is the expectation so that I continue to have healthy habits in my life, but attacking something that I want to go after because I've set realistic goals with it versus the up and down of like, I'm really healthy, I'm doing great. And then something emotionally happens. Because I, I realized through this whole process, I'm an emotional eater. Growing up in an African home, like, you had a tough day. Here's a delicious meal. You had a great day. Here's a delicious meal. You've shown up. Here's food, right? Like food was something that like we congregated around, we had conversations around. Like that's where we had our politics. That's where we had our tough conversations. That's where we cried. There was food usually present. And so what I found is I had associated food with comfort. And so I had to walk through that and get that situated and say, no, food is something that I use to fuel my body. And there's certain things that are absolute delight, but it doesn't mean I have to have them every single day. So that was a, an interesting process for me. I'm on this journey. I'm on track, which is a beautiful thing. But I think that I finally put the systems of health into it and did the emotional and psychological work in order to have it be successful. Yeah, that, that was an incredible answer. And that was very deep. And I, I definitely share so much of that journey with you. And also, I gained a lot of insights into myself by hearing you talk about it. I thought a lot about how hard it is that we all every culture on earth celebrates with food. And celebrations can be abundant, like you mentioned joy, and like every day, there's a reason to celebrate if you're doing it right. Yeah, there does have to be like a limit to your association with food in particular as a celebratory material or alcohol or whatever it is that you know, you like if you're a human being here. So yeah, I love that answer. I thought that was incredibly deep. <laughs> and it, it's just exactly why I wanted to have you on, which is I feel like you get the process of getting and like, and like, that's where I am. I'm 41. And like most of us, I mean, I, even if you're like in your 70s, I can't imagine that you're not still thinking like, how can I make this better? How can I change and enjoy life even more? Once you start thinking about making positive changes, you're on this track. So and that's what the show is for the shows for people who think about that. We always give our guests the floor at the end of the show. I love this part of the show. It's my favorite part to just let you kind of give your little piece to the world. Well, um, I'll give a hopefully motivational one. Um, to your speaker or to your listeners, I think it's important to number one, right? Every single person should figure out what they believe or, or have a belief of higher power. I think that allows you to operate with rules that allow you to know how to engage with people, but also how to serve people. And then it also puts expectation on your life. Um, I think a second rule that people need to always follow or understand is to set expectations for your life, right? To have a clear understanding of the value of your life, the beauty of your life, the value of you as a human being. So that way, when you walk through life and walk through different situations, this allows you to not let certain things get to you because you understand who you are and what you were created for, right? This goes into understanding your purpose of your life. And then the third thing is to just laugh through life. Like if you can't laugh at yourself and laugh at situations, or find joy in the simplest things. Your life is going to be uptight and uncomfortable, and it's not going to be a life well lived, right? And so my hope for my life is that when I die, my cup will be fully empty, right? The idea is I've lived everything, I've done everything, and when I die, like, my cup is empty. My, my fear, my worst fear would be dying with a half cup or a quarter cup, because then it means I didn't do everything that I was supposed to do. I didn't say everything I was supposed to do. I didn't engage in everything I was supposed to do. So as you walk through life and then you engage, just always think, I want my cup to be empty at the very end, because you lived a full life. 
Wow. Ruth and Subuga, that was incredible. I I love this uh, fake real job of mine because I get free psychoanalysis and therapy. Um, I ask brilliant people who I admire uh, my, my weird, dumb questions, and I hear your answers, and I just I feel better. I, I was having a weird day, and I really took a lot of strength from your answers, and I just really love that last quote that you just said. I mean, I hope when I die, my cup is fully empty. That's an incredibly brilliant way to go out. So to everyone listening at home, if you want to help out the show, just head over to MikeyUp.com. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com and sign up for free for the weekly newsletter. And if you want to go the extra mile, we do have a premium package. Either way, we love you and we appreciate your support and that you listen. And to Ruth, just another huge thank you. You're awesome. And we will see you soon. Bye.